to Wire to Wire as we get ready to tie up week three. One game left on the week three schedule. The Chicago Bears and Washington Redskins play in D.C. tonight on Monday Night Football. Otherwise, 15 games in the books, and we are getting ready to look ahead to week four here on Wire to Wire, getting you ready to make your waiver claims over the next 48 hours or so. I am Michael Beller, joined by my co-host, Brandon Funston. Funston, how was your weekend? Not bad, man. I uh, can't complain for the first time this year. So, yeah, seriously, we're all happy about that. Other than from a personal standpoint <laughs> as a Seahawks fan, I can complain about that. But otherwise, uh, in the world of fantasy in which we live lots of our, a lot of time, uh, I'm feeling pretty good about things. Well, that's very good. I had a, a pretty nice weekend myself in that realm also. So uh, we're feeling good. We're feeling good about ourselves. It's good to feel good about yourself heading into the waiver period, isn't it? Not feel That's like you right. have to, we're, gonna, we're like, going to exude positivity, which will <laughs> therefore you know be spread amongst uh, our listeners here. That's, that's certainly that's certainly going to be the goal over the next 40, 45 minutes or so. Uh, before we get going, uh, just a reminder you can uh, you can follow me at M Beller on Twitter. You can get Brandon at Brandon Funston. I've got a great week of uh, of um, uh, athletic fantasy football podcast coming your way. Love that Wire to Wire gets to be the one to really kick things off for everyone. But uh, a couple episodes of podcast by committee uh, where we uh, sit down with beat writers. So be sure to check that out. Brandon and I will be getting back together again on Wednesday with Jake Seeley to do our weekly ranking show. So definitely one that will help you get your lineups uh, in order or start to get your lineups in order. So be sure to check that out as well. Also, uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes or on Spotify or anywhere else uh, that you're listening to this for free, uh, we're still running our 40% off promotion. Go to theathletic.com slash wire to wire, and there you'll find yourself 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic where you get everything, our podcast, NFL, college football, MLB, NBA, NHL, all of it right there uh, for use. Again, theathletic.com slash wire to wire. And you're going to want to pair this uh, podcast with Jake Seeley's uh, uh, waiver column that will be out at midnight tonight if you are uh, still awake, midnight Eastern. So maybe a little bit more uh, realistic if you're on the East Coast, 9 p.m. But whether it's tonight, tomorrow, uh, you're going to want to check that out as well. And with that, ready to get us into the waiver wire. Brandon, why don't you uh, take it away and throw out our first top pick regardless of position who we're going after well we got to go after the top pick overall in in preseason fantasy drafts we got to go after his replacement i think and that's wayne gallman uh with saquon barkley coming out of sunday with what's been reported as a high ankle sprain um you know they're they're talking several weeks without uh barkley which is a huge blow for those that picked him and you know especially with daniel jones looking as good as he did uh, you know, there was a little bit of excitement maybe with that offense, but Gallman's going to be the guy now. And we've seen him in glimpses in the past and, um, you know, a really good receiver, kind of a, you know, a little bit on the slight side for a, a true kind of uh, bell cow type, but you can expect he's going to get uh, featured work there in that backfield. And he can do a lot of the things that Barkley can do, just not as well. You know, he is a versatile threat. And so in that manner, they'll be able to plug him in and, you know, run the similar offense, but, uh, you know, just won't have the ceiling that Saquon Barkley had. I mean, who does, right? So, (laughs) but, but volume is the name of the game. As I say every week in fantasy, we're chasing volume and this will be a volume opportunity for Wayne Gallman. 
Yeah, wouldn't be surprised to see them bring in another running back at some point this week. The only other backs uh, on the roster, uh, other than or the only other back, I guess, excuse me, on the roster other than Barkley and Gallman, at least healthy back, is Elijah Penny. So wouldn't be surprised to see them make a move, beef up that position. But it certainly seems like it's going to be Gallman while Barkley is out. Brandon, you pretty much hit it all on the head. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's an intriguing receiver, and I think that becomes even more interesting with Daniel Jones. We saw Jones' mobility. You and I talked about it last week. Uh, the, just the mere fact that he's such a superior athlete to Eli Manning was going to make this Giants offense uh, better. We saw that in action in their win over the Buccaneers, and that's going to help Wayne Gallman too while he takes over for Saquon Barkley. So obviously you can't expect him to be uh, just a Barkley clone. Uh, Few, if anyone, can be in the NFL, but he's going to be the main back there for the Giants. So definitely someone who you're going to want to make a priority regardless of what your running back position looks like headed in to week four. I'll take the next guy, uh, DJ Shark, another guy who we've talked about a few times in this space. And Brandon, it seems like every week we talk about a guy graduating out of wire to wire. I think DJ Chark's going to be that guy this week. We've uh, we've mentioned him even going back to our uh, first show before the season even got started. Uh, guys who we were talking about targeting on the wire, uh, uh, you know, leading into week one, and Chark was one of them. Uh, he's delivered in every single game this week in the Jaguars' win over the Titans back on Thursday, so maybe don't remember it quite so clearly, but four grabs on five targets for 76 yards and a touchdown uh, that I think now that we've seen it for two and three quarters games. I think we can say that the connection with Gardner Minshew is real. He has been uh, Minshew's most targeted receiver since he took over for Nick Foles. And I don't see any reason to think that that's going to change. I think we're looking at a guy who has wide receiver three chops as a floor every single week this season. Yeah. And we've talked about how athletic he is and how his ceiling once he's kind of get fully, you know, gets fully refined is, is, you know, top of the charts so yeah you score a touchdown in three straight games you catch 15 of 18 targets it's a it's a great percentage for a wide receiver and you watch dd westbrook drop drop the ball left mm-hmm. and right in that last last game so you could make the argument now that uh chark is the clear go-to guy in this offense and again with that kind of athleticism you love to see a guy like that get get volume because it's going to mean good things and so far that's you know, I think you're absolutely right. He's he's not going to be a guy that we're going to be able to talk about next week because he should be, uh, you know, for the most part, universally owned come, yeah. uh, come the end of this week. Yeah, and what you love also, you said uh, the go-to guy in this offense and the go-to guy in an offense where there aren't a lot of other receiving options in it. So I think we could be talking about DJ Chark as a, you know, not league, not top five or maybe even top 10, but top 15 target share guy and yeah. I mean I, re- I think that's realistic and and certainly uh, someone who's going to have enough of a target share to be uh, again in that wide receiver three as a floor discussion every single week so DJ Chark someone you're going to want to go after if he's available for our third we will stick at the wide receiver position Philip Dorsett came through for the Patriots uh, yesterday in their win over the Jets six grabs on seven targets for 53 yards and a touchdown he played 92 percent of the team's snaps Julian Edelman uh, did not play in the second half of that game, getting an MRI on what the uh, Patriots are calling a chest injury uh, today. So certainly uh, some some real value uh, possible, possibly to be had with Philip Dorsett. Obviously, Antonio Brown is gone. If Edelman misses time, we're talking about the number two receiver in one of the best offenses in the NFL. 
Yeah, and I think even as the number three receiver, he's a guy that probably should be owned in most competitive leagues that are 12 teams or more because with no Antonio Brown, uh, like if you look at the way things are kind of – the roles for these receivers, Josh, Josh Gordon's not really a vertical option anymore. He's, he is almost like a, a really athletic tight end at this point. And Julian Edelman, we know him, he's the kind of the, the grease man underneath. And if you've watched the two games in which Antonio Brown wasn't playing, uh, you know, there's, there's just these opportunities that present themselves in the game. Like, you know, New England will lull you with all these shorter and intermediate range passes. And all of a sudden they'll just wait and they know there's going to be opportunities to go deep. And so far that's worked out very well for Philip Dorsett. And I don't see how that wouldn't continue to be the case. And as you mentioned with Julian Edelman's injury, uh, if he's going to miss some time, that's just another feather in Dorsett's cap and makes him even more of an obvious ad. But even if Edelman were to be fine and may, let's say he only misses a week or, uh, something like that. I, I still think Philip Orsett's a guy that we should all be interested in. Yeah, definitely. Never quite got things going with the Colts. Uh, his first time with the Patriots, he had some. He had his moments, but obviously there were a whole lot of other guys competing for targets, uh, and he wasn't able to establish any consistency. That could certainly be changing for him this year. So definitely someone you're going to want to take a look into. Wayne Gallman, DJ Chark. Philip Dorsett, our top three waiver plays for week four. Brandon, let's now go position by position as we always do. We're going to start at the running back position. Uh, Alexander Madison had himself a productive game in week three. 12 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown against the Raiders. Uh, Unfortunately, if we're talking about long-term value, this had a little bit of something to do with game script. The Vikings were totally in control of this one from the get-go. Took it easy on Dalvin Cook, especially in the fourth quarter. And that's really when we saw Alexander Madison shine, but still showed off what he can be the sort of player he can be. We've been talking about him a few, uh, pretty much all season in wire to wire. Uh, you've been really his biggest backer. I assume you still think that regardless of Cook, this is someone who should be owned in most leagues. He should be owned by everybody who owns Dalvin Cook. Uh, <laughs> That's you know, for sure. Minnesota, they, they've kind of come out and said, we're going to be, you know, they they changed, got rid of John Filippo last year at the end of the year and, and said, we want to be a run run football team. And they've been that. And they, they're really good at it now. And Dalvin Cook's been awesome, but so is Alexander Madison. And, you know, so for the, you know, I don't know how many times we've said this, but Dalvin Cook goes down. Alexander Madison has top 10 running back fantasy upside, I believe, in this offense. The way they've been run blocking, their commitment to the run, uh, and just the way Alexander Madison looked. I mean, you have to, if you're across the room and you're not really paying attention, there'll be times when Madison has the ball that you're not even sure if it's Madison or Cook Mm -hmm. because they both run kind of violently. Uh, You know, uh, Madison's a little bit more of of a heavier build guy, a little bit more powerfully built. Cook's a little bit more of a, uh, you know, it's a little bit slider, but they both look the same when they're, when they're running the ball. So, yeah, every cook owner should have this guy, and it's always fun if you're not the cook owner to pick up someone like this and let a cook owner sweat, you know. So um, don't make him a freebie, you know, for when the time comes when Dalvin Cook is injured because he has extensive injury history, and maybe this will be the year he doesn't miss a game. But so far, we haven't seen that, and that's going all the way back into Florida State days as well. So uh, there's a good chance Dalvin Cook misses games somewhere along the way, and you'll want Alexander Madison. Yeah, not only have the Vikings shown us that this is the way they want to win, that they want to dominate with their run game and their defense, but they've shown us that 
uh, it's a way they can win. Uh, they, they've proved the efficacy of that strategy for themselves uh, against the Falcons in week one and then against the Raiders in week three. This is a potentially dominant run and defense team, especially when they're playing at home. And that just speaks to what uh, they're going to be able to do uh, with both Cook and Madison. So definitely someone who you're going to want to uh, be paying a lot of attention to on the waiver wire this week. Alexander Madison needs to be owned in most leagues. And like you said, Brandon, Dalvin Cook owners, if he is out there in your league, you got to get him now. One of the true necessary handcuffs in the NFL. Uh, Another potential necessary handcuff had himself a nice game uh, in week three. That's Tony Pollard again. Pretty similar in what we're talking about here. There was a game script uh, management issue uh, going on in this one. Uh, no reason for the Cowboys to put too much on Zeke's shoulders in the second half of this game. Uh, surprisingly competitive first half, but the Cowboys pulled away in the second half. Tony Pollard ended the day 13 carries for 103 yards and a touchdown. Three catches for 25 yards. Played about one-third of the snaps to two-thirds for Zeke. So this was pretty much a pure Zeke plays some play, you know, plays two-thirds. Uh, Pollard plays one third. They don't really share the field at all. Uh, again, this feels like a, a spot where if I'm a Zeke owner, I got to go get Tony Pollard. Otherwise he's maybe someone who I'm taking uh, a little bit of a shot on, but not necessarily making a priority this week. Yeah. I think, as you said, it's the same narrative as it was for Alexander Madison. And this, this game was sort of predictable. I ranked Tony Pollard pretty high because going against Miami, it just felt like, why would they lean on Zeke too much in the second half nursing a lead? And, this is something that you can kind of predict for certain teams in the league right now. I think Miami and the jets with Luke Falk at quarterback are teams that we know you can pick on and it'll come up later because who plays Miami this week, but the, but the chargers. And so Justin Jackson, someone we're going to mention in this running back segment, but you know, as we get into these bye weeks, if you got a team going against Miami, you can actually start the backup court uh, running back in a flex spot. And you might actually have, a decent return as Tony Pollard showed here, but uh, to back to your original point, if you're a Zeke owner, might as well give yourself a little extra rest at night by picking up Tony Pollard and just making sure you're ensuring that backfield there. Yeah. Zeke has been a durable guy. uh, Unlike Dalvin cook and same thing going back to his college days at Ohio state, Ezekiel Elliott uh, has not been someone who's been prone to injury, but when you play a sport like football, everyone is somewhat prone to injury. So if I'm a Zeke owner, uh, this is the time I'm feeling comfortable using a roster spot, even though it feels maybe like a burn on Tony Pollard. Again, also, like we said with Madison, not only because he looks like uh, he would step right into that Zeke role, but because it looks like he can handle that role. Not the same ceiling as Zeke, but enough of a floor where he's going to be someone where if Zeke did go down, he would be in our top 20, top 25 running back rankings every single week. Tony Pollard, definitely someone uh, who Zeke owners at the very least should be taking a look at here going into week four. Uh, You mentioned Justin Jackson. We had him a little lower in the rundown, but we might as well just turn our attention to him now since you brought him up. Uh, uh, Had his least productive game of the season, least used game of the season as well. Just five carries for 26 yards in the Chargers loss at home to the Texans. Played 37% of the team snaps, 65% for Austin Eckler. Uh, this is a situation where Eckler is clearly the guy, Jackson working his way in. But as you said, a nice matchup for the Chargers this week could have himself some Tony Pollard-like vibes in week four. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the Dolphins. I'm just looking at the Dolphins number here. And, you know, they gave up 107 rushing yards to Mark Ingram and two touchdowns in week one. Uh, they gave up 85 yards and a touchdown to Sony Michelle in week two. And Sony Michelle hasn't even hardly been able to get more than one yard of carry in any of the other two <laughs> <Seriously>. games. <laughs> and then you get double, double century mark rushing numbers from Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. So, yeah, this is an absolutely great opportunity for Justin Jackson, who is, you know, was kind of a two thirds, one third split on the touches and on the snaps last week. But again, Austin Eckler is not a big guy. And if if the Chargers are nursing a lead, I would not be surprised if Justin Jackson's getting a heavy workload in the second half of this upcoming week. So uh, we kind of liked him as a guy that's getting a decent backup share for the chargers just in general, but in a week, like when you're playing Miami, it becomes, uh, you know, extra enticing. Yeah. The only thing that concerns me outside of a great matchup, like he's going to have this week and outside of the potential for an Eckler injury is that, you know, they're really not using him at all as a receiver. They are giving all that work to Eckler. And that's part of what's made Eckler such a special player through three weeks. Easily his worst game of the season uh, came uh, yesterday against the Texans, but it wasn't like he was totally useless. And it's because of what he did as a receiver. Uh, if I'm buying Justin Jackson, I would like to see a little bit more of that work go to him, but certainly not a bad short-term guy to add uh, with the the Chargers taking on the Dolphins here in week four. And again, as you said, always that injury possibility with a guy who's a, a little bit smaller of a frame in Austin Eckler, who's clearly going to be handling as many touches as he possibly can for the Chargers until and unless Melvin Gordon ends his holdout and returns to the team. Uh, one uh, breakdown that really caught my eye yesterday, and what caught my eye in a quizzical way, I will say, was in Green Bay. Uh, Jamal Williams got 12 carries for 59 yards uh, against the Broncos. Going into that game, Matt LaFleur said uh, something to the effect of wanting to even out the snaps between uh, he and Aaron Jones, and even them out, he certainly did. Jamal Williams played 61% to 39% for Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones did get the two short touchdowns uh, that really saved him. Uh, our pal Scott Pianowski calls it uh, touchdown deodorant. He definitely had that uh, in week three for the Green Bay Packers. But Jamal Williams playing 61% of the snaps. Uh, a, I'm worried if I'm an Aaron Jones owner. B, I think Jamal Williams has to be someone who we talk about on the waiver wire this week. I don't know what it is about this guy. It's like a cockroach. He just won't go away. You know, it's like uh, you know, a new coach. You think that maybe there'll be some Sandy comes in and you know, it's it's still this talk about Jamal Williams needs to get his carries, his touches, and it and it ends up proving out. And when you see Aaron Jones run the football and you see Jamal Williams run the football, you say they should be giving the ball to Aaron Jones more. But um it doesn't really matter what we think. <laughs> it matters <laughs> what what the coaches do, and they're giving Jamal Williams the ball. And if you look at the last two weeks, he's had at least a dozen touches in both of them. And Matt LaFleur has come out and said he wants to kind of, you know, bump up Jamal Williams's workload and that's what he did. Um so so yeah, we got to we got to take this seriously now. Uh it's unfortunate if you're Aaron Jones owners, uh you know, you did get the two touchdowns on Sunday which is nice, but touchdown deodorant doesn't happen every week and you really you know, you really want the guys that are going to be getting the touches and if this is going to be a little bit more of an even split. It's a big bummer for Aaron Jones, but it means we got to go out and grab Jamal Williams um if he's going to be getting a regular 12 touches. I still got to believe that Aaron Jones is the, more the guy, but it, it really is disconcerting with the way they, they insist on using Jamal Williams like this. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, going forward for this team. But this is another team that 
um, you know, has been able to win mostly with with defense and just enough offense. Uh, they're three and zero. How about the NFC North uh, with them being three and zero? The Vikings at two and one. They're only lost to the Packers. The Lions at two zero and one. We'll see if the Bears can move to two and one here tonight. But uh, NFC North looking like a tough division. Uh, but if the Packers are going to be able to do this, that makes Jamal Williams even more intriguing uh, as a long term guy. Uh, obviously, not going to have the backfield totally to himself, but could certainly have enough of a role that we're talking about him as a worthy fantasy starter, even alongside a healthy Aaron Jones. Uh, we'll stick with that name. How about uh, going to Ronald Jones here? It's been a tough one to figure out. Week one, good. Week two, non-existent. Week three, good again in the Buccaneers' loss to the Giants. 14 carries for 80 yards, one catch for 41 yards against the Giants. This was um, a pretty even split across three guys in terms of snap rate. Jones got 30%. Peyton Barber, 36. Dare Agunbawale, the guy who we know is going to be really just a pass catcher for them, played one quarter of the snaps. Uh, this is similar to the Packers, right? I mean, every time you watch Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber, it's obvious who the more talented guy is. Do we think that Bruce Arians is going to you know, not totally turn Ronald Jones loose, but at least make him a guy who gets 45% snap rate and you know 40% or 50% of the touches coming out of this backfield? Yeah, it's hard to tell so far. I mean, you had the week, you know, after week one, the solid week one for Ronald Jones, like it was clear how much they favored Peyton Barber in that second game, especially down the stretch. And it was almost like it, it seemed kind of like a hot hand. As you look at the whole three games, it kind of seems like it sort of could be a hot hand situation. Uh, it certainly was in week two. Once Peyton Barber started rolling in the second half, they just fed him over and over and over again and in my mind I was like oh okay so maybe Peyton Barber is the favorite guy here but but now it looks like you know it's going to be really tough to tell week to week um and so you, you mentioned as a Green Bay situation it's kind of a poor man's Green Bay situation just because the backfield's not as good it's not as lucrative and so for that for that I mean I guess it's league context at this point with Ronald Jones. I don't, I wouldn't say he's a slam dunk guy to own in a 12 team league, but if you get deeper than that, then yeah, he's probably someone you're going to have to go after. Let's talk about another back who I think is someone who you're going to have to go after. If he's still sitting there surprising, actually how many leagues he's still sitting there. in. it's Carlos Hyde, 10 carries for 19 yards and a touchdown against the chargers. Obviously not very productive, but Played more than half of the team snaps. Duke Johnson was totally ineffective, was barely used in that game. And uh, Hyde didn't turn his um, his work into much production, but did still get those 10 carries, did still get that 52% snap rate, and did still score a touchdown. Uh, it might be ugly, but it seems like he is the number one back in Houston. Yeah, he. I, I think it's pretty clear now based, based on usage and uh what we've seen so far that he is the number one back and it's a good offense and he needs to be owned and he, they, they get to go home and, and face Carolina this week, who has been a pretty generous run defense so far. So I think most weeks you're going to get double digit carries out of Carlos Hyde. He's, he's looked pretty good. And um, with that Deshaun Watson threat that only helps kind of loosen things up for the running back. Um, so yeah, I, of the guys we've talked about other than our top, pickups i mean i would be as interested in at the running back spot with carlos hyde as as anyone so yeah, and uh, yeah go ahead from a game script perspective this was you know not as bad as it could possibly be for carlos hyde obviously as bad as it could possibly be would be the texans getting blown out by three touchdowns but it was a one score game throughout and it was a game that um i, I want to say off the top of my head the chargers must have led 
for more of that game than Houston did. Uh, that's about as bad as it gets for a guy who is going to be a pure running back who's not going to do much work as a receiver, and they still found a way to get Carlos Hyde double-digit touches. So that tells you basically in a worst-case scenario game script for Carlos Hyde, still getting double-digit touches, still finding the end zone. It's going to be ugly, but he's going to play plenty to be someone who is uh, intriguing in fantasy leagues, especially with bye weeks starting here in week four. So Carlos Hyde, someone who just actually missed out on being in our top three, you're going to want to make a move for him if you're needy at the running back position heading into this week. Daryl Williams for the Kansas City Chiefs, nine carries for 62 yards, five grabs for 47 yards in the win over the Ravens. Uh, LaShawn McCoy had two touchdowns in this game, but had to leave after aggravating his ankle injury. We know Damian Williams missed it. It's a it's a going to be a, a fluid situation, I think, all season with this backfield and certainly with McCoy and, and Damian Williams dealing with injuries. But I say as long as we're early in the week here and we don't know what McCoy and Damian status is going to be, Daryl, someone you got to be going after on the waiver wire. Yeah, at least for everybody who was in on Darwin Thompson, now we know that Daryl Williams is actually number three in the hierarchy. And if Damian Williams or LaShawn McCoy is out, it's going to be Daryl Williams likely to get uh, the benefact, be the benefactor of those guys' absence more so than Darwin Thompson. So uh, this is something we learned. Darwin Thompson was pretty popular and a guy that was being picked up. And I think now you're going to, if you're one of those people, you need to reverse course and you need to talk about, it. I mean, I, if I was being honest, I would love to be a guy that doesn't have to worry about the Kansas city backfield mm -hmm. whatsoever. I have a mm -hmm. couple Damian Williams teams and I unfortunately have to be invested in this a little bit. So I'll be interested in Daryl Williams a couple places, but um, this is starting to look like one of those convoluted backfields, like the new England's and uh, you know, the San Francisco's and the Philadelphia's where it's frustrating but they're good offenses and those guys are going to pop certain guys in those backfields will pop week to week. So you got to pay attention. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with this Kansas city offense, right? Is that, uh, I mean, they've been, if anything, they've been better this year than they were last year. I, yeah. I mean, imagine if they had to keep the foot on the gas in these games that they uh, have won so far this season, uh, it's ridiculous what they're able to do. And so there's really no line of investment that's bad. And that's why I say, I mean, if, it, if, you know, we fast forward to week four Sunday and um, LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams are healthy, then Daryl Williams isn't going to play much. But we don't know that as we sit here on Monday. We don't know that. Like, we likely won't know that uh, when we're really putting our claims in on Tuesday. So for the time being, I think you've got to make Daryl Williams a, a someone who's maybe not a, a big priority, but someone who you're you know, going after with a, at least a little bit of gusto this week because, I mean, look at what he did against a seemingly strong defense. Turned 14 touches into 109 yards. I mean, that's always going to be on the table if you have a meaningful role in the Kansas City offense. What if Damian Williams misses this week and, and Daryl Williams has another one of these highly efficient uh, games? Like, Could you imagine a world where uh, Daryl Williams kind of passes Damian Williams on the death chart? I could. That was part of the reason why I was fading uh, Damian Williams at ADP all draft season because of the fact that I, what I kept saying was I, I don't see any reason why the Chiefs have uh, real loyalty to him if he gets hurt or if he has a couple of bad games. And so I think that's definitely something that's uh, in play as we uh, as we look forward if Damian Williams does miss any more time. I think it would take that, what you said, he has to miss more time and Daryl Williams has to be as good as he was against the Ravens. But right. that's totally in play. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could. I, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I think it's you know it's what have you done for me lately? And when mm-hmm. the guy's rolling, coaches have a hard time you know wanting to put put the stops on that. So um, you mentioned the Patriots. Let's move on to Rex Burkhead. Eleven carries for 47 yards and a touchdown. Six grabs for 22 yards against the Jets. Now James White's uh, surprise and active status had a lot to do with this. James White's role in this offense is obviously in zero jeopardy whatsoever when he gets back um gotta believe he is going to step right back into that same role so those six catches for 22 yards uh, that rex burke had had probably a short-term thing but you mentioned sony michelle being uh, highly inefficient so far this season rex burkhead i think could be in line for more of the uh, carries in this offense after what we've seen from michelle through three weeks yeah, the nice thing about Rex Burkhead is I think he's the backup to James White and to Sony Michelle. Right. Like he is this this hybrid guy that can actually you can give him you can give him ground work or you can use him in the passing game. And so when James White goes down, Rex Burkhead is interesting. When Sony Michelle goes down, and by the way, he's got you know bone on bone issues with his knee, and um, you know they're going to try to manage his workload. And anytime that they get a lead, um, they'll probably look to take it easy on him so you can kind of figure out when Rex Burkhead's going to be someone that you can use. And and as soon as James White was out, I went on Sunday morning was grabbing Rex Burkhead in a couple of different leagues and was able to plug him in there and it worked out pretty well. So uh, I like Rex Burkhead. If it, if it's Sony Michelle and James White and the game's going to be fairly competitive, then you're probably not going to get much more than a handful of touches from Rex Burkhead. But uh, the next time around for, uh, Miami or the Jets, uh, you know, Rex Burkhead will be interesting and there'll be other moments along the way as well. And again, if there's an injury to one of those guys in front of him, uh, it means very good things. One more guy who I'll mention we don't need to talk about, uh, but just uh, that he had his uh, goal line role confirmed here in week three. Jeff Wilson, uh, basically the exact same game he had uh, against the Bengals, he had against the Steelers, eight carries for 18 yards. That's not getting anyone excited but two touchdowns. Uh, It's going to be almost impossible to start him because he's so clearly touchdown dependent, but he's going to be a fly in the ointment for Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert. And eventually when he comes back, Tevin Coleman. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, If there's a back we didn't mention here, someone who goes deeper than this, he is almost certainly mentioned in Jake's waiver column that will be available to you uh, midnight Eastern on Monday night, obviously all day Tuesday. So if there's someone else you're looking for, be sure to check that out. Brandon, move on to the wide receiver position. We're going to start with the guy who you liked a whole lot coming into this week. Devin Smith didn't have a super productive game, just two grabs on five targets for 39 yards. A lot of that had to do with the game script here. Cowboys in control, certainly in the second half. The good news, played 92% of the snaps. So he's going to be out there as long as Michael Gallup's injured. Yeah, and he was, I was watching the game, um, you know, at least part of it, and he was involved and and there was, there was you know, the potential for things to happen. Uh, just to quickly reiterate, great vertical threat guy coming out of Ohio State. A uh, lot of speed uh, was for a vertical, you know, sort of a one trick kind of guy. He was pretty polished and, uh, you know, something that was mentioned, uh, I forget who was announcing the game, was talking about how he had kind of looked like he had expanded his route tree a bit and looked a little bit more refined. So um, as, as long as Michael Gallup's out, I think this is a guy that uh, I'm going to be interested in. I know that and I play in a lot of 12 team leagues and I have him in a few of them. So uh, at that threshold, at least for the next few weeks, I'm comfortable rostering him and then just playing the matchups from there. 
Yeah, Cowboys haven't really been tested, but uh, this is an offense that has looked excellent in its wins over uh, the Giants, Washington, and Miami so far this season. Week four, uh, they play a marquee game Sunday night against the New Orleans Saints, and Devin Smith, someone who uh, needs to be uh, of a whole lot of interest as long as Michael Gallup is out. He's going to have a big role in this offense. Again, he, uh, he uh, Randall Cobb had one big catch, but Smith clearly was the number two receiver to uh, Amari Cooper in this game. Uh, other side of this game, <clears throat> excuse me, we had uh, Preston Williams. Uh, again, another uh, a game where the numbers popped for Preston Williams. It's a bad team, but this is someone who's going to be intriguing for fantasy purposes. Four grabs for 68 yards. The two big numbers for him, 12 targets, 96% of Miami's snaps. No matter who the quarterback is, this is your number one receiver in Miami. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so I was watching this a lot through the red zone. And, you know, Josh Rosen and, and Miami were were kind of knocking on the door a decent amount. It didn't work out to a lot of points. But, uh, you know, Josh Rosen showed a little bit of signs of life, and he clearly favors Preston Williams. So as this season goes on, this could be a thing where the chemistry really kind of starts to click and this Miami offense starts to get uh, a little better and a little better each passing week. And that's just going to only help Preston Williams as they go forward. So yeah, I'm with you. He's looking like the go-to guy. This is a team that's going to always need to be throwing the ball. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's, he's a good guy to roster to have on your bench. And you you know, as you go through these bye weeks and we go all the way from now until week 12, there's going to be times when a guy that's getting 12 targets, like he did on Sunday is going to be appealing, at least uh, from the potential standpoint. Definitely. He's going to have to work uh, upstream against his offense all season long, but they're going to give him plenty of opportunity. Plenty of ores are going to be put uh, in Preston Williams, our hands to, uh, to work upstream. So someone who, uh, you know, you've got that going for you. There certainly are worse ways you could go on the waiver wire. Uh, Mac Hollins, another guy who uh, is getting an opportunity. He, because of injury to Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, sounds like Deshaun Jackson could be out uh, for a while here for Philadelphia. Still waiting on the uh, official news uh, for him, but uh, sounds like that could be a long-term thing. Alshon Jeffrey uh, dealing with uh, another soft tissue injury, a guy who's had plenty of those over his career. So we could be looking at a whole lot of Mac Hollins and Nelson Aguilar uh, for the foreseeable future in Philadelphia. Uh, we're assuming Aguilar is owned in your league, obviously. Go after him if he's not, but Mac Hollins played all but one snap for Philly in its loss to Detroit in week three. Got seven targets, caught four of them for 62 yards. Uh, again, wide receiver three, wide receiver four, or certainly with the uh, buys coming up, someone who needs to be owned. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's going to be the case for a few of these guys where there's injuries that are opening up opportunities, and this is a Philadelphia team. It's one of the better offenses, a good quarterback in Carson Wentz. I'm just looking at their Philly is fourth in the league in red zone scoring attempts per game so far. So, uh, you know, it's a fertile environment. Uh, you would like to have an offense that's going to give your players chances to score touchdowns, and Philly's certainly doing that. Um, so, because of the lucrative environment, because of the window of playing time he has, uh, yeah, I, I think everything you said is exactly right. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting spot for uh, for this Philadelphia, really for this whole team, uh, sort of at a crossroads three weeks into the season after losing to Detroit at home. Uh, going to see what they do, but uh, it's still been a productive offense for fantasy purposes, and Mac Hollins has a meaningful role in it, certainly as long as those injuries are happening for the team. Um, I didn't see much of Cincinnati and Buffalo in week three, and when I saw what Auden Tate was doing, the very first thing I did was Google Tyler Boyd injury, John Ross injury because I felt like one of them had to have gone down 
uh, for uh, Tate to be getting as much work as he got. But that was not the case. Got 10 targets, even alongside a healthy Tate, or excuse me, a healthy Boyd and a healthy John Ross. Caught six of them for 88 yards and played 89% of this team's snaps. How seriously are we taking uh, Auden Tate's mini breakout game in week three? Uh, not crazy, seriously. This is a guy who was a healthy scratch in week one. I, 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 you know, and eventually AJ Green will be back. I think Tyler Boyd's still clearly the the number one go to option for Andy Dalton and John Ross in in a you know a better matchup um, is going to be someone they're going to try to get the ball a little bit more. Buffalo's a good defense, a good pass defense, and that wasn't going to be the best day for John Ross. I think we all kind of knew that. Um, Pittsburgh next week is going to be one of those days that might, you know, go back and swing to the Tyler Boyd, John Ross guys. But uh, of all the guys we've talked about so far, Auden Tate would fall to the bottom of my list. I think this was going to be mostly an anomaly. I'd be surprised if uh, we start seeing regular Auden Tate fantasy viable performances. But the one thing that we should note is this, you know, going into this week, this was like the second most pass happy offense in the league. Mm-hmm. Dalton ended up throwing, throwing 36 times, um, which wasn't a huge number. But in general, this is going to be a team that's going to throw the ball a decent amount. So, uh, you know, it can potentially support two to three guys in a given week if it's a decent matchup. Yeah, I think the window for Auden Tate is short term before A.J. Green returns. And you have to be, you being the fantasy owner, has to be pretty hurt by buys uh, at some point to really turn to Auden Tate. So if you if it, that, that describes you over the next maybe three weeks or so, then someone who maybe deserves a little bit of attention. I'm just going to run through this next guy really quick just because we've talked about him a bunch. If you don't already own Cole Beasley, then maybe you're in a format where Cole Beasley just isn't uh, very valuable, but got 10 more targets in this game. Uh, the Bills pulled out against Cincinnati, caught eight of them just for 48 yards. That's the sort of player Cole Beasley has always been. That's the sort of player he's going to be. Certainly more valuable in PPR formats than he is in standard. But again, uh, buys, are come, buys are starting this week uh, with the Jets and the 49ers taking a seat. Cole Beasley has a role to play in plenty of fantasy leagues. Uh, Mohamed Sanu shows up for the first time really this season. Six grabs on all on six targets, 75 yards in the loss to the Colts, played 82% of uh, Atlanta's snaps. You know, Mohamed Sanu is a very known commodity at this point of his career in the fantasy community. He never really gets me very excited. He's not getting me excited based off this game. Uh, for me, he, again, is a is a low-priority um, waiver depth guy for this week. If I miss out on every, you know, he'll have, I'll have some contingency bids on Mohamed Sanu, but he's not going to be one of my top, three receivers even let alone overall players i'm going after this week yeah you said it best exactly i was gonna say he's a known commodity uh you look at four of the last five seasons he's finished between 650 and 838 yards and either had four or five receiving touchdowns it's kind of who he is kind of a 60 catch 700 yard four to five touchdown guy i don't expect it to change i mean he's been incredibly consistent with those numbers in atlanta uh, and so as the number three option among wide receivers here, I, you know, I think he is who we, who we think he is. And, you know, for some people, they like to roster that, that kind of safe known value that he brings to the table, but not a lot of upside here. Yeah. Very little, if any upside, I would say, in fact. So uh, if I, you know, like I said, if I need a wide receiver, I've got 
the guys we mentioned uh, off the top, Dorsett and Chark. I've got Williams ahead of him. I've got Matt Collins ahead of him. Uh, and if I, you know, start to miss out on those guys, then maybe I've got, you know, a couple of buck bid for Mohamed Sanu, but nothing more uh, than that. Uh, Deontay Johnson played his first big role for the Steelers this season. Three grabs on six targets for 52 yards and a touchdown. All of our James Washington hope uh, did not come to fruition in this loss to the 49ers. Are we treating Deontay Johnson as the number two receiver in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean they they sat Dante Moncrief, and I think you know they that the message received that they're not happy with him. Uh, we thought it would be James Washington because of the college connection with Mason Rudolph, but Deontay Johnson is also one of those guys that uh, you know has been down the depth chart working with Mason Rudolph, and that's always that narrative people like to say, oh, the backup quarterback working with the backup wide receivers, and um. You know, eventually, I think James Washington's the guy you want to bet on. But this will be a this will be a team that'll throw the ball a lot. And uh, I think Deontay Johnson is the number two at this point. He went out and had a good game. I don't think there's any reason why that would change next week. And if he, you know, if he's making plays and not dropping the ball like Dante Moncrief did, I think he continues on and uh, he makes him an interesting guy for sure. On the other side of that game, uh, you know, San Francisco is not going to make things easy on us, are they? At any no. position. <laughs> Right. I mean, running back. Well, tight end. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But Kittle isn't uh, delivering to the point that uh, people who spent uh, early third round picking him were hoping running backs a mess. Uh, wide receiver also a mess. Uh, yesterday in that win over Pittsburgh, Debo Samuel had four targets, caught three of them for 44 yards, played 52 percent of the snaps. Dante Pettis had five targets, caught four of them, 20 yards, including the game-winning touchdown uh, among his four catches, played 42% of the snaps. Marquise Goodwin led these three in snap rate at 67%, but had the fewest targets and catches, two apiece for 41 yards. Uh, do you even want to make sense of this situation? Uh, I think I'm still going to go Debo, Goodwin, Pettis in that order. And I just think as a rookie, there's more – you know, there's we're chasing the potential for Samuel. We know he's he was a great college receiver. Uh, he kind of a well-rounded guy. He got good speed. He can run good routes, good hands. There's there wasn't a whole lot that you could pull coals into his game. So uh, for him to already kind of be, he, we've seen him flash in week two. Um, you know, he he led the team and uh, led the receivers in yardage in this one. I just think in a general trend line, I'm going to be wanting to back. Debo Samuel over these other two guys. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, I will keep an eye on Dante Pettis. Uh, they, again, the Niners have a buy in week four, but when they come back in week five, I will be keeping an eye on Dante Pettis. Seems to be maybe earning his way out of Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. We know what he did last year. We know the draft pedigree, a second round pick in the 2018 draft. So definitely someone who, uh, if he can get out of the doghouse, uh, could be uh, a guy who ends up becoming an interesting fantasy play. But uh, Debo Samuel, for me, the leader in San Francisco right now in a situation that is going to be more cloudy than it is anything else, I think, for most of the season. One more guy who I want to uh, hit on before we uh, move on here is Golden Tate. Uh, we saw what Daniel Jones did, uh, making this Giants offense look like a completely different unit in week three, his uh, first start of his career. Golden Tate, one more game uh, while uh, for his suspension, and then he returns in week five. Uh, how much of a priority are you making him on waiver wires wherever he's available? Uh, pretty high one. Like, uh, so I'm just looking at the list of receivers that we've talked about here. And uh, other than maybe DJ Chark, um, Golden Tate's my number two guy there. Oh, ahead of Dorsett? 
I, I would take him, I think, ahead of Dorsett, yes. Okay. Uh, just from a consistency standpoint. I don't know that, you know, I'm, I'm a half PPR and PPR guy, uh, and I think in, in those formats, uh, Golden Tate's going to be a decent compiler. I think we can count on him, uh, you know, kind of like a, a better Cole Beasley where – you're going to see those eight catch games, but you're going to actually get a little bit more yak on those catches and, and get a little bit more yardage. So uh, Daniel Jones looks good. There's a huge opportunity at the wide receiver position right now. No one's really stepped up. So Golden Tate could return and be plug and play right away. Yeah, Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram both had productive games uh, in, with Daniel Jones in week three, but got to believe Golden Tate steps right in and uh, is, uh, if not, uh, equally in the, or if not the number one guy, excuse me, at least equally in the mix with those two. Uh, a few. Michael, let me let me, let me yeah. just ask you that same question. Where where are you on the door set versus Golden Tate? If both of those guys are sitting there, you need a wide receiver. Which one are you going to go after? Uh, assuming we don't get any word on uh, Julian Edelman uh, before uh, we're making our bids, I'm going to go. I'm going to lean toward uh, Tate because I do think that I would rather have Golden Tate toward the top of uh, of the Giants' depth chart than Dorsett as the number three in New England. Um, but if we if we learn something about uh, Edelman that he's going to miss some time, then I would probably make Dorsett uh, a little bit more of a uh, of a priority. But two guys who I think I, 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 again I think these are our top three receivers uh, pretty comfortably: DJ Chark, Philip Dorsett, and Golden Tate going into this week's bids. Yeah, and then one thing to remember is Tate's not eligible until week five. So right. if you need somebody for this week, then the other two guys are certainly where <laughs> you're going. <laughs> uh, a few situations to keep an eye on, uh, and then we'll move on to tight ends. T.Y. Hilton dealing with a quad injury. Um, not sure the severity of it yet, but if he were to miss any time, Deion Kane, Paris Campbell, and Zach Pascal would be the top three uh, receivers in Indianapolis. So uh, not guys who are going to get the juices flowing too much, but uh, certainly guys who you're going to want to at least know their names as we go through this week. And then Anthony Miller, a guy who I mentioned in our Friday episode as someone who I thought was going to be a popular waiver pick this week. I think the Bears had to have gone back to the drawing board. We'll see if that does end up happening in their game against Washington on Monday night. But uh, make sure you're paying attention because Anthony Miller could be I remember this was a top 40 45 receiver by ADP who has been roundly dropped he could jump right back into that discussion with a strong game against Washington on Monday night let's move to tight ends uh, just to mention him once more we'll uh, just move right on from him Chris Herndon same deal as uh, Golden Tate also with a four-game suspension now the Jets have a bye in week four so he doesn't return until week six but is going to jump right into the low-end tight end one discussion when he does return, as we have mentioned a few times this week. So if tight end is a position of need, maybe you want to get ahead of the Herndon return and grab him now. Uh, Will Disley, your guy, Funston, another good game. Got the the garbagest of garbage time touchdowns. <laughs> Zero seconds on the clock. A uh, game that couldn't end because of a penalty. A game where the was already in hand. The Saints had what, a 12-point lead, right? And that right. snap, it was 33 yep. to 21. So, yep. I mean, the most, one of the most meaningless snaps in NFL history, Will Disley gets in the end zone, six catches, seven targets, 62 yards and a touchdown. Uh, what are we thinking of him going into week four? Well, look at for a tight end, even without that last play, he's like at five catches and mid 50 yardage, which, you know, you'll take that from a tight end most weeks. I mean, that's, you're lucky if you get a touchdown from your tight end often. So, uh, what I make from it is, is the same same old story I've been saying. They there's opportunities 
uh, within the game when Seattle wants to run and they got Tyler Lockett stretching the field and DK Metcalf, they just know they'll have opportunities down the seam for Will Disley. And they, and, you know, most of his yards came on that, just the, just that straight right down the seam up the middle. And, uh, you know, Russell Wilson drops back and, and knows it's there and, Will Disley's got good hands. He's, it's working for him. So I think this is going to be something you're going to see over and over and over again. And uh, it makes him a, a decent baseline. I think he's got a pretty, pretty decent floor right now. So uh, I'm interested in him a lot. Would you rather have Will Disley or uh, Vance McDonald as your go-to starting tight end? Wow. I, I'm going to still... I'm going to still hold on Vance McDonald. I think I'm not quite ready to make that switch yet. But you think that's like, that's a reasonable debate. Yeah. I think we're talking Disley is now in that sort of top 15 discussion. Okay. Yeah. Where where are you at on him? I I think I would actually rather have Disley and it's it's because of Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. I think they're so equal that I'm just going to trust the quarterback in this one. Hey, you may be right. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's very, it's a very good argument at this point. Um, which, means, which means that you know Disley is someone you're going to have to be thinking about uh, as as a borderline tight end one, a guy that you're yeah. going to have to go into most weeks saying uh, maybe I'm going to start Disley this week. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's definitely has played his way into that discussion. Another guy who uh, hasn't gotten there yet, but maybe can with another good game or two. Jordan Akins uh, for Houston got five targets, caught three of them, turned those three grabs into 73 yards and two touchdowns in Houston's win. Over the Chargers, uh, I, I think he's a stream guy for the time being. But can he be a guy who we we ultimately think of as a tight end one, or at least enough of a tight end one to be a, uh, or have enough of a possibility of being a tight end one to be someone that we like on the wire this week? Yeah, I, I think he's athletically he's there. I, I just my biggest issue is there is just this plethora of targets now, like really good targets in Houston. You got DeAndre mm-hmm. Hopkins and Will Fuller and Kenny Stills. It was someone we haven't talked about, but I think we could have, you know, Kenny Stills had almost 90 yards. Uh, somebody that they've been talking about wanting to throw to more. Kiki Kuti has been kind of phased out, but Duke Johnson, one of the better receiving running backs. And who knows if they, you want to start getting him rolling in that capacity. I think the problem is just going to be target share on a week in and week out basis. But from an athletic standpoint and from a, you know, passing offense upside standpoint, Jordan Aikens is looking good. So I think he's more like, okay, I have this tight end one who's on by this week. Who am I going to pick up? Well, mm-hmm. Jordan Aikens would be a nice pickup for that situation, you know? So I think he's going to have a lot of utility in these bye weeks, but as a kind of standalone guy that I'm going to plug in there week in and week out. I just don't see it as far as consistency goes. Yep. I'm totally with you there. I think you nailed that situation. So we can move on to our last two guys, uh, Irv Smith uh, in Minnesota, three catches on three targets for 60 yards. Dawson Knox, uh, three catches for on four targets for 67 yards and a touchdown for the bills. I don't, we're, I don't think we're taking either of these guys seriously as long-term owns. Uh, are they on the stream radar for you after what they did in week three? Well, so yeah, Dawson Knox, especially, I'd be a little bit more interested because I think his opportunity is bigger there. You know, with Minnesota, they're going to want to run the ball, and they also have Kyle Rudolph. And uh, so I think from a target standpoint, like I would rather chase Dawson Knox. And the one thing I thought was interesting is they gave Dawson Knox a, like a, you know, a reverse handoff. He went mm-hmm. for nine yards. He looked pretty good. Like you can see he's a young guy, but you can see him maybe 
they continue to develop this role for him and that he's somebody in the second half of the season that we see a little bit more consistency. He looks decently athletic. Uh, he has an opportunity there in Buffalo to really kind of take that tight end job and run with it. So um, if I'm, if I'm playing the long, the long game here, I'm going to go Dawson Knox. Moving on to the quarterback position, uh, Brandon, Daniel Jones and Kyle Allen both made their first starts of the season in week three, and they both looked excellent. Daniel Jones, 336 yards, 9.3 yards per attempt, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and 28 yards on the ground. Kyle Allen threw for 261 yards, 10 yards per attempt, and four touchdowns. They both get wins on the road. Um, Superflex, two QB leagues, obviously every quarterback has value. Are either of these guys playing their way to, let me ask you, uh, put it this way, in two QB leagues, are they for sure starters? In one QB leagues, are they at least going to be on the stream radar? I think, well, you know, with Kyle Allen, they've come out and already said Cam Newton's our starter, which is funny. Like someone with Cam, they have to actually come out and say it, but Cam's look so terrible. No, no, they said they, Allen's the starter for week four. Yeah, but they said that, that Cam is still – Oh, long-term, I got you. Long-term is yeah, a yeah. guy, yeah. you know. But I don't know. I mean, Cam was – Cam just looks like a shadow of his former self. Um, you know, his efficiency and just his ability to throw the ball have been way down. So you wonder if Kyle Allen comes out and has another good start, if they just start to, to backpedal from that a little bit. But that's enough of a question mark. That I think Daniel Jones is a guy – look, he went over 300 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, two pass – or two rushing TDs. The only player, the only quarterback in NFL history to do that in his first game. So pretty good number. Pretty good, pretty good start to the career. Pretty good start. You'd like him to be paired with Saquon Barkley. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think this offense could be in big time trouble if you don't have the threat of Saquon Barkley back there. So that's what gives me pause on him. But between the two, I'd be kind of, you know, running after Daniel Jones more than Kyle Allen because I, I think they're going to, you know, in Carolina, play the Cam Newton game uh, for a little while longer. If you've got if you've got Daniel Jones in a two QB league, are you thinking right now that this is a guy who can start every week the rest of the season? Yeah, you know, in a twelve team league, two QB league, I'm, that's like quarterback twenty four. You're going to start twenty four quarterbacks. I think he's right on the he's right on the bubble. And again, we're going into the bye weeks. There's going to be multiple teams out between now and week twelve. I think he's going to have to be a guy that's in the lineup pretty much every one of these weeks into week 12 with maybe one or two exceptions along the way. Yeah, it could be a pretty incredible story for Daniel Jones. Certainly the first chapter uh, has the book off to a good start. Let's put a bow on this episode of Wire to Wire Funston talking uh, our favorite quarterbacks and defenses to stream in week four. Again, 49ers and Jets on a bye. So not a killer week uh, from a fantasy perspective with buys. Uh, give the listeners a quarterback who you will be chasing as a streamer over the next couple of days. Yeah, I think I said this on the Friday show because we kind of speculated our week four streamers then. And Andy Dalton was my guy, and I'll stick with Andy Dalton. Uh, Steelers, eighth most fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position. Uh, the Bengals want to throw the ball. Apparently, they've developed another big target in Auden Tate. So, uh, you know, another another target for Andy Dalton to work to. But I think he's going to have some ability to get John Ross more involved again in this game against the Steelers. I like the upside for him uh, in this what is it? AFC North battle there. 
Yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, of guys that you can stream. Kyle Allen at the Texans. Dalton's a good call. Uh, we'll see what Case Keenum does uh, tonight against the Bears, but he'll have a much easier assignment next week at the Giants. On the other side of that game, uh, New York's new hero, Daniel Jones, gets to take on uh, Washington. So I think any of those guys works as a streamer. My favorite, though, is going to be Jacoby Brissett against the Raiders. I love the Colts in that game. It's a game at home. Uh, it's a game they should win. It's a game where uh, they are big favorites already and there's no reason that's going to change uh, I think Brissett uh, has uh, taken great care of this Indianapolis offense I see no reason that that changes in week four so give me Jacoby Brissett as my top streamer but again Dalton Jones Allen Keenum if you are a quarterback streamer you have plenty of options in week four how about defense Funston who are you looking at as a defense to stream much fewer options I think that you can really feel good about going into week four I'm gonna go with Atlanta um because you're going up against Tennessee. You're going up against Marcus Mariota. He's been sacked. Tennessee Titans have been sacked a league high 17 times. Uh, so I am going to chase that. I thought, uh, you know, Atlanta hasn't got a ton of sacks, but they've done a decent job when I've watched them of getting pressure. I think that pressure turns into, uh, you know, sacks in this game against Marcus Mariota. And I would not be surprised uh, if this is a game where either Mariota loses his job or he gets benched midway through the game. I, I'm expecting that Mariota can't be bad too much longer before they make a change to Ryan Tannehill there. Yeah, I think that's a, a great call all around. And even with the uh, 10 days in between games for Tennessee, I don't see them getting things right. Atlanta, definitely a team that I am going to be trying to stream this week. I am a defense streamer in all my leagues, so Atlanta's going to be on my radar. The top team on my radar, though, uh, same exact team I just talked about with the quarterback. I think Jacoby Brissett and the Colts take care of business in every facet of the game against Oakland. Uh, so I am taking the Colts as my favorite defense to stream against the Oakland Raiders in week four. Some other options, um, we're talking about teams that are less than 50% owned. So really not a ton out there that looks all that good. But uh, Denver hosts Jacksonville, even though Gardner Minshew has uh, captured America's heart and has looked pretty uh, effective uh, during his time as the starter. That's still not a bad spot for a defense to stream. The Broncos at home against Jacksonville. Pittsburgh also at home against Cincinnati, even though we do like Andy Dalton as a streamer. There's plenty of room for Dalton to have a good game and Pittsburgh's defense to have a useful fantasy game as well. So uh, some teams you're going to want to look at as you get your defense stream bids ready over the next couple of days. And uh, with that, I believe, Funston, we can uh, put a bow on wire to wire here as we head into week four. Can you believe we're already going into week four? His time's flying, man. I mean, so yeah, right. Regular regular fantasy season is thirteen weeks long. So we're talking we're at, we're a third of the way through the year after this week. It's crazy. It's cr I mean, we know this. You and I have been playing fantasy for I'm going to guess a collective like fifty something years, but still, it feels like it sneaks up on us every season like this. Way to age us, man. <laughs> that was completely unnecessary, Mike. <laughs> hey, we're, we're very comfortable in our skins. That's right. We're, we're the OGs. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening to uh, Wire to Wire. Uh, hopefully we were able to tackle uh, every single guy on the wire who you are interested in. If we didn't, though, be sure to check out Jake Seeley's waiver column that goes live midnight Eastern 
on Monday night on the website. Of course, you need to be a subscriber to do that. And hey, if you're not a subscriber and you're listening to this, you can get 40% off right now at The Athletic dot com slash wire to wire it gives you 40 percent off an annual subscription you can follow brandon on twitter at brandon funston you can follow me on twitter at m beller until we talk to you for our friday show of wire to wire enjoy your week good luck with your waiver bids we'll talk to you then have a good week everyone